Thank you. Good evening. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Uh, As a reminder, um, this uh, Saturday uh, is the No Greater Foundation Conference at Calvary Chapel Eastside. Um, If you signed up, just a reminder, uh, if you wanted to carpool or caravan down there, um, we will be leaving from the church parking lot at 5 in the morning on Saturday and driving down there. Um, and as a reminder, lunch will be provided um, by 12 baskets there. So, um, yeah, just make sure if you wanted to come and follow people down to show up at before 5 so we can leave there and, and uh, get down there. So, um, Luke 12, verse 35. If you're there, let's uh, read it and then we'll pray again. It says, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, uh, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, Do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. Let's pray. Lord, We do ask, uh, as Marielle prayed, that we would all have one mind here tonight as we sit under the teaching of your word, that your spirit by uh, your scriptures would speak to our hearts, that we would set aside our own agendas, our own ideas, our own Uh, ambitions and and wills in these things, Lord, but that we would simply sit back and let you teach us, Lord. And I pray that we would hear and obey. I pray that the people would be encouraged by your word, stirred up, exhorted, Lord, uh, and, and that we would be true disciples of you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we're continuing, of course, with our series on discipleship, Um, and uh, this here, I guess, so last time I taught, um, it was on the disciples' prize, like Pastor Dan was talking about. Um, It was on our prize being the rewards that the Lord promises to those who, who 
uh, are doing those good works that he has prepared beforehand for his servants. Those servants who love his appearing, the people who are being faithful unto death, the servants who are following him and committing him and those rewards and prizes that we have in store for us as we serve him here on earth. The heavenly treasure that we have to look forward that we're storing up as we serve the Lord faithfully here and now. Uh, and then uh, Dan last week taught on our our purpose and and, and taught about how we as as his disciples are to be constantly exercised in our faith and in the Word of God and be being uh, strengthened and growing as we're following the Lord. And here I would say so we ha- we have the prize and the purpose. And here you could say we have the disciples' persistence is to continue on, to understand that, that we've started in our journey as being the Lord's disciples, as his servants, and now what it is we have before us is to persevere, to be persistent, to continue to walk with him, to be awake, to be aware, to watch. Uh, and that's what we have. Uh, John 14, why don't you turn over uh, there with me. We know Jesus here, John 14, verse 1. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be concerned. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Now this is a promise that we have as believers. Jesus gave to his disciples and has given a promise to us. You know, we're called as disciples to follow him. And in following him, he gave this promise. Now, he was with his disciples on the earth at this time. Of course, we know this was before he was crucified um, and, and buried and, and then resurrected and then eventually ascended into heaven to go away, which is exactly what he prophesied would happen, that he would go away. But then he has this promise tied into that, which is that he's going to prepare a place for those who follow him. And if he's going to prepare that place for those who's following him, he's going to come again and receive us to himself. This is the rapture of the church. It's that time when the Lord finally returns for his bride who has been waiting for him and calls us up to meet him in the air, then to be with him for the marriage supper of the Lamb, to be with him in our in our transfigured bodies, glorified bodies, to be with him and and to stay with him there. And we have that promise. Now, part of that promise, of course, is that he's going to come again. And that's a command that we have is to be watching and to be waiting to look for him. Remember when he ascended, what did the angel say? In the same way that he's ascended, he's going to come again, right? book of revelation over and over and over again he's coming quickly right we have paul and peter and and the other uh disciples and apostles in the new testament telling us as christians as believers to watch to be prepared to look for his return The, the doctrine of the imminent or at any moment return of christ is something that we are taught throughout the scriptures now, I know there's many different ideas about when the rapture happens. Uh, I think those people who say the rapture doesn't exist in the scriptures are, are honestly foolish um, because it's very plain that there is a catching away of the church, uh, a taking away and receiving, as Jesus said here in John 14, to be with him. We see that clearly. Now, when it takes place, I believe it takes place before the seven-year tribulation. Uh, that time of Jacob's trouble where the Lord pours his wrath out on the earth, judges Israel for rejecting him, and, and deals with them to turn their hearts back to him and to bring about that ultimate salvation, then eventually, ultimately, to establish his physical, real reign on the earth for the thousand years that we see. 
Um, but I believe the rapture comes before that. And, and this teaching of Christ coming at any moment we see throughout the scriptures. That's this same picture that Jesus talks about. If you go back to Luke 12, it's the same picture where he says, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. The context of this, Jesus is talking to his disciples about um, being prepared for heavenly treasures, being prepared for heavenly life, to not invest everything that they have here and now on the earth, but to live here and now on the earth, investing in heavenly inheritance, in heavenly treasure. That's the context and he says, then he gives them how their attitude should look, what, what they should be doing in order to do this, how they should be living their lives. And that's what he says. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. We've talked about this before. In fact, one of the other times I taught on discipleship recently, we talked about being girded, having the uh, loins of your mind being girded up. And it's that idea of the flowing robes that they would wear. Uh, and uh, that if left down as they begin to work or run or exercise or whatever they would do that required activity, they would be tripped up and stumbled up unless they pulled those robes in tightly and cinched them up in their belt. Um, So here we see the picture of the servant. A servant uh, would have their waist girded and lamps burning, waiting. Uh, we're, We're called... Uh, to be prepared, to not have all of these other things around us that are ready to trip us up, to distract us, to be of a single mind is that we are called as servants, as his disciples, to be ready to serve him when he wants us to serve him, how he wants us to serve him, to not let these other things be distracting us. He says, let your waist be girded. Ephesians 6.14, now this is speaking of the armor of God, but Paul writes there, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, knowing the truth of the word of God prepares us for service. Knowing what the scriptures teach, being disciples of his word, students of the scriptures, that prepares us to serve him. That helps us to not be distracted. That helps us to not be caught up with other things. Is to be in his word. To gird our waist up with truth. To keep us from getting tangled up, misled, swayed, distracted, stumbling. If we're in the word of God. And then like I, I mentioned before, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. It means don't, don't, don't let your mind get distracted with all of these other things. But be in the word. Be about the Lord's business. The, the word of God is meant to cleanse our minds. Remember, we're to be, have our minds renewed by the washing of the water of the word. We're to be in his word and, and grounded in it. The word is a mirror that reveals in our hearts those things that are in opposition to God. It's it's a uh, teacher for us in in righteousness and holiness and purity. The word of God is essential for us as Christians. How much we value the word is how well we do as servants of God. It's directly correlated. Uh, how much we value the word and how much time we spend in the word. How how much we not just read it but apply it to our lives. Actually live it out and be obedient to it. We're called to that. So the other part of this, he says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. That lamp, we know in the scriptures, oil. These were oil lamps at that time, a clay vessel that would have some type of oil in there and then some sort of wick um, in there. Uh, And we know in the scriptures, oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. Um, But Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. I would say the word of God is represented by that lamp again. And the Holy Spirit is the oil inside that lamp. The word of God again teaches us. The Holy Spirit illuminates the word. And pours into our lives 
uh, the what we need to be that light, to be prepared, to be illuminated. It's that working together of the Spirit of God, His very presence in us, and our submission to Him that then produces the fruit in our lives that the Word talks about, that obedience that we want to have to His Word and to follow Him. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. The Word gives light. It sheds light through the Holy Spirit into our lives again, but also into the world around us to where we now begin to see things aright. We have the correct perspective. We're, we're viewing what is taking place on the world in light of what the scriptures say, in light of end times events, in light of what God says will come about in the last days, which is deception, right? One of the greatest signs and the main signs of the end times is, is deception, And that's what we see all around us. If we want to not be deceived, we need to be men and women of the word of God. And we need to be men and women of the word of God and seeking the Holy Spirit's illumination as we're reading the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to talk to us, to spend time, again, devoted in it, and to have it be the normal, habitual part of our day where it's our relationship that we spend with the Lord, asking him to speak to us, asking him to teach us, to spend that time and, and communion with him in his word. And as he does that, then he encourages us. He, he speaks to us on those things that, that we need to surrender to him. But he also then opens our minds and our eyes to see things around us the way he sees them and aligning our wills with him. And that's what the word of God does. That's what we're called to as his servants, have our waists being girded and our lamps burning And then verse 36, he says, And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. That you yourselves, it's in the emphatic. says, don't worry about other people. Don't worry about what someone else is doing. It's not reliant upon your pastor to, to make you be a good Christian or a good disciple. It's your responsibility. You, if you've placed your faith in him, if you call yourself his disciple, your responsibility is to have your way skirted, to have your lamp burning, to have your, your wick trimmed, to be prepared, to be watching. It says, you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. We watched a, a while ago that beautiful movie on uh, showing the relationship between uh, the rapture of the church and the, uh, the Galilean wedding, if you guys remember us watching that. Um, and just that beautiful picture of, of the father of the groom saying it's time and then the groom going out to go find his bride at an hour that no one really knew except for the father. And, and to go out and find his bride and then take her to be with him. And that's the same picture here, the master returning from the wedding here. Now, that's not speaking to the uh, chronology of the rapture here, but again, it's that same idea. In the Middle Eastern, in in the Jewish uh, wedding ceremonies, they would go out and weddings would last for days and days. They would celebrate. And for servants of a household, they never knew when the wedding would end. So the, the master could come back at any time. And for the servant, they were called to just be ready and to be prepared to open the door for the master. If he's hungry, to get him food. If his feet are dirty, to wash his feet, to be prepared for his return. And that's the picture here. To be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. I can remember when uh, growing up, the times when my parents would go and perhaps they went to run errands or they went to go do something for the day and our four siblings would be at home and we'd have chores we had to do and responsibilities we were supposed to do. I'm sure most of you can probably relate. Um, But I I can remember slacking off, kind of just doing my own thing, making a huge mess in the house, you know, getting out all the food and making some giant meal for myself. Um, and then all of a sudden hearing a car pull in the driveway, quick, throwing everything in the fridge, slam the door, run around the house, try to throw everything back in order and be ready, and, and then acting as calm as I could when the, my parents would come in the house, right? That's the opposite of what we want to have as Christians, as servants, as disciples. 
We want to be waiting and aware. I know there are nights when uh, my wife will go out and and have something going on. She'll go and exercise uh, with some other ladies in the church. And in the wintertime, it's dark when she comes back. So, uh, so I know as a husband, I'm concerned for her safety. Uh, I want to make sure as she's driving a long ways on the island, she's coming back safe. And so I'll be waiting and watching for her. Uh, and many times I'll get up and check the door as I see car lights drive by our window and shine on the blinds thinking maybe it's her. And, you know, not her just yet. But again, that's the same attitude we're to have as Christians, as his disciples, is to be watching and waiting. We get criticized for always thinking that the rapture is going to happen soon, for always saying Jesus might come back soon. But that is the attitude Jesus tells us we are to have, is to be prepared for him to come, to be watching, to be watching, because... No one knows the day or the hour, right? And, and it, it's difficult because we want to know, right? We want to know when the Lord's coming back. We want to know how much time do I have, you know? We, we want that, but at the same time, it's a blessing the Lord gives us because in not knowing when he's going to return, then that stirs us on to live as if he could come back at any moment because he can to live that way, to live righteous, holy lives, to not be distracted by all these things, to have our waists being girded. You know, it's that kind of that self-fulfilling thing here where he says, be like these servants, waist girded and lamps burning, because your master could come back at any time. And then you say, well, the master could come back at any time, so I need to have my waist girded and my lamp burning. I need to be prepared. And that's what we see here. That when he knock, comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. When I was studying this, the first thing I was reminded of is the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Remember, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Remember, that was written to a church. You know, we had, uh, I think Hank Hanegraaff stole it from somebody, but there was this uh, personal witness training program that he had done, uh, Bible Answer Man. And, and that was one of the things that he stressed over and over again was this, this verse of, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone opens up. And it was used to speak of salvation and that, that the Lord wanted to come into our hearts and to save us. Now, he does. That's not, you know, not a, a false thing. However, that's not what that portion of Scripture is speaking of. It's speaking of a, a group of people, a church that was called by his name, that had things uh, that that it was still a church, it had its lampstand, had its light, all of those things, except for Jesus was on the outside, knocking to get in. And we don't want to be like that. Again, that's the same thing, the same picture. It relates back to this. The master is coming, and, and we don't want to be those servants who are asleep, not watching, not waiting for him, not prepared, rushing around to get prepared. Oh, no, the Lord's coming. But sitting there waiting, checking, is he here yet? Is he here yet? Sitting by the door, being prepared, right? That's what we're called to. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Now, it's not just this heavy emergency thing where we need to be always like, oh, no, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. But there's blessing with it. The blessedness is a... a, a, perfect, continuous state of action, state of being that we have for the servants. So we have the blessing of when the master comes, being prepared and opening for him, having the faith that he's going to return and that faith that pleases God, being ready for him. But at the same time, we have blessing here and now as we're being prepared. Again, it's the purifying effect of having this hope, of having this perspective, of having this, this uh, uh, mindset that he could return at any time, where we're not fooling around with other things, where we're, we're, we're uh, of one heart and one mind with him, is that he's called us here and now to live faithful lives to him. He's given us responsibilities, and, and he's called us to do those things until he returns, and to keep doing them because he's going to return when we don't know, and, and to continue on. And that's what we're called to. 
said, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. We're to watch. It says, assuredly, here's the blessing, the beautiful blessing. Assuredly, I say to you that he, not the servant, but the master, the Lord, will gird himself and have them, his servants, sit down to eat and will come and serve them. There are some Bible teachers say this is the most beautiful blessing that we have in the scriptures is servants, stewards. In, in, in the Greek word, it's actually the word doulos, which is, speaks of slave, right? Slaves of a master because they've been watching and waiting. Open the door for him. The master, who should be the one being served, comes and begins to serve his servants. That's what we see with the marriage supper of the lamb, right? We're there. Jesus is preparing a place for us. The beautiful promise that we have, that if we're prepared for him, that he'll do that. Again, this reminds us of Jesus and the example he gave with his disciples, right? Where, where he gave them the example that we are to live out in serving one another, where he came and he girded his waist. He grabbed the towel and the basin of water and began to wash his disciples' feet, Right? That's what we have. That's the beautiful blessing is our Lord and King, the creator of the universe, the Logos, the eternally existing Son of God, will serve us, his servants, who don't deserve it. He'll serve us in that blessing of being with him. It's beautiful. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what we have to see uh, the future for us who believe and who are waiting for him and watching for him is that blessed, blessed hope. Verse 38, it says, And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. There were four watches in the uh, Roman time frame of night. Um, I don't remember the exact hours when these were, but the, the, the first watch was, was shortly after sunset. And then the second and third watch were in that darkest, later part of night. Not the early morning, which was the fourth watch. But the second and the third watch were those times where it was easy to fall asleep, where it was hard to see anything, where, where it was the time that you would just you would sleep, you would rest. And he says, blessed are those servants who... If he comes at the second or third watch, find them so. I think it's so interesting that he mentions those times. Again, it speaks to the fact that he could come at any time. But it's that perfect time. It's not a time that's too early. It's not a time that's too late. It's at the perfect time. And that's when the Lord is coming back. We don't know when it's going to be. But when it is, it's the right time. And what does that mean for us? For us, it means we need to be, again, prepared. Our hearts need to be prepared for the Lord. Don't continue in habitual sin, but repent. Turn from it. Confess your sin to the Lord. Believe that he's forgiven you. And then move on from it. Walk forward in newness of life. Walk in victory with him. We don't know how long we have either for our loved ones. For the people around us. It stirs us up to share the gospel with others. To have our perspective right. You know, now, nowadays in the so-called evangelical church, which evangelical means good news, right? It's the gospel. That's what it's supposed to be about. But the evangelical church is no longer concerned with the good news of salvation, but concerned with the social gospel, which is no gospel at all. But it's basically saying you need to bow down and serve the people around you with feeding their flesh, providing places for them, doing all these things that the world calls as good, but neglecting the souls of men and women. We as the church, we're called to serve. Now there's the time for that. But again, like we looked at, uh, I think on Sunday, what did Jesus say? The poor you'll have with me always, right? Now, Now again, we're not to neglect the poor, not those things. But at the same time, what is the point of us here as a church of God. He says go and make disciples of all nations. Making disciples means sharing the gospel with them. And then discipling. Leading them. Showing them what the scriptures speak. What they say. It's not about fulfilling the needs of the flesh. Those are extra things. 
right? This whole chapter in, in Luke is all about don't worry about your flesh. Don't worry about those things. The Lord knows what you ha- have need of. He's going to prepare those things for you. He will take care of you for what you need. Be concerned about your spiritual well-being and the spiritual well-being of those around you. That's what we're called to as Christians. And then when we do that, then there's the fruit of these beautiful things where we're then in the transformation of the souls of lost men and women, then you see the cultural reforms. Then you see the fruit of the Spirit being lived out in the lives of people. It doesn't happen the other way around. It happens by God himself coming into us and transforming our hearts and our lives and then his life producing fruit in us. That's how it happens. And that's how we are called as Christians, as his servants, to to view our goal and our calling here on this earth. It's to serve him that way. To be those blessed servants who are watching for his return. To know souls of men and women are at stake. Our souls are at stake. And to know that we've been called to serve and to follow him as his disciples. Verse 39 says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now there's some different opinions on this. The word master of the house is not the same as the master up above. Master up above is the word kurios, which means lord. And it's the, the kind of the medieval feudal idea of a lord, like a landlord, the person who owns the place. Whereas this word master, it, 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 uh, in the, if you transliterated it in the Greek, would be despot of the house, meaning leader, ruler. It could speak of the lead servant, but it could also speak of the actual owner of the house. Either way, the picture here is clear, that if he had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. But we know the Lord's time, the Lord's return is coming as a thief in the night, like the scriptures say. We know that it's going to happen like that, so how much more should we be prepared? How much more? And that's what he says. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You guys, the rapture could happen at any point. The signs of the times are just increasing, increasing, increasing. Um, uh, It's the birth pangs that we hear about in scriptures, right? It's a beautiful, uh, very, uh, I mean, it comes obviously from the mind of God. So it's the perfect picture of what we see taking place is birth pangs. It's uh, uh, these groanings and pains and warning signs that start out small and spread out, but they begin to grow both in intensity and how rapid they come. And they come in fits and spurts until all of a sudden it's here and the baby's coming, right? And that's the picture that we have. And we see all of the signs of the seven-year tribulation. We see the signs of the Antichrist system of government rule where there is one world economy we see economies collapsing all around us we see inflation everybody talks about inflation and and the the monetary problems that everyone is having we see uh this push for a digital central bank currency that we see the the u.s is talking about the digital dollar other countries are talking about these other things there's you know, the cryptocurrency and all of that kind of stuff that's just preparing the way for all the things that need to be in place for the Antichrist to be able to set up what he needs to control everyone so that whether you have the mark on your right hand or on your forehead, unless you have those things, you will not be able to buy, sell, or trade. That's the way he does that. We're, we're seeing a, a, a unification of religions where, where the, the word of the day when it comes to looking at how uh, everyone talks about their beliefs and, and their viewpoints is syncretism. I don't know if you guys have heard that word, but it means basically picking and choosing little pieces of this religion, that religion, this philosophy, and joining them together. And you look up, I forget where it comes from, but there's some recent polls on the biblical worldview of Christians in America. 
so-called Christians in America. And the majority of Christians, the majority of pastors, have viewpoints that are pulled from other religions, like karma, like reincarnation, like uh, uh, relativism, like all of these other things that, that they're just picking and choosing and saying, I'm going to build my own beliefs based off of these things. And that's what we see the Antichrist saying. He's setting himself up above all other gods, right? Uh, we see the, the mystery Babylon, that world religion that, that everyone bows down to, the false prophet that arises. We see all the signs of these things coming. And we see them coming quickly and, and, and more intensely and more closely. So what does that say? If the rapture of the church happens before, then how much closer is that than the tribulation? How much sooner do we see the Lord coming? I believe he's coming very soon, and we need to be ready. That's what Jesus says. He, he, he cuts the chase as he's talking to his disciples there. He gives the parable. He says, "Be have your waist be girded, your lamps burning. Wait for your master to open the door for him. Watch be found watching, be prepared, he says, and this is, this is what it all means. You also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then we see Peter here as he's listening, and Peter says, Lord, are you speaking to this parable only to us as disciples, or is this to all the people? He asks that question. And I love it because Jesus here, he doesn't really even answer Peter necessarily, but he goes into this other parable here. He says, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? So then he shifts and he talks about now a, a, a steward who would be the head of the servants, someone who's given responsibility over others within this household, over other servants, says, who, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So again, here's the warning. The master is coming. You've been given responsibility as a steward in the household of God. You have those who you are responsible for. You have those duties that you are responsible for. And if you are found doing those things the master has assigned to you, has appointed you for, then you are blessed. And then we have that promise of the blessing. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. We see that again. So what's the character of the steward here? Faithful. is a faithful steward. Being faithful in his actions, not being a hypocrite. Not pretending, but also being faithful in that, having faith that his master will return. And then having wisdom. That word wise, it means to be prudent and speaks of being mindful of his master's interests. To have a heart and a mind that is saying, I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do, what my master is calling me to do. And that's what this steward is. We see that. This ruler over the household that it's talked about, um, the word ruler is not directly found in the Greek, but speaks of being appointed over. And it, it, this ruler is an overseer of the servants uh, of the master here. And what he's called to, this ruler who has been appointed, is to give the other servants, their portion of food, what's needed for sustenance, and to give it to them in due season at the right time. So we see these, these uh, characteristics, these qualities. Faithful, wise, one who's been appointed by his master, that, that does the will, is providing sustenance for the other servants, and is doing it at the right time. Now this, I believe, is a picture and kind of a foreshadowing of what Jesus called Peter to, where he says, Peter, feed my sheep, right? To be an apostle, we see Peter and the other apostles writing the scriptures as the Holy Spirit inspired every word that they wrote down. And we see that then also them teaching, 
in the book of Acts, we see the, the early church continuing in the apostles' doctrine. That was their regular thing. They had fellowship and prayer and continuing in the apostles' doctrine. And that's what Jesus called them to do. We have the scriptures talk about if anyone desires to be a teacher, he's going to be held to a higher standard. Right? We have all of these things, a higher standard, a higher responsibility. But we need to be careful because these responsibilities that we have are not just for teachers, not just for somebody who's called to be a pastor or a missionary or, or to have some, some uh, uh, rule, role of leadership within the church. But each and every one of us has been appointed a position in our lives by our master and given responsibilities over things. Parents, you're responsible for your children. You're responsible for them as a, as a steward. They belong to the Lord, but you've been given a role as a steward over his children to give them the food that they need and the time that they need it. Now, this is speaking of physical food here, but the picture is speaking of spiritual sustenance, taking them to the word of God, being ready in season and out of season to give the answer that they need for hope that we have, but also to speak into their lives the truth of the word of God. Those mothers and fathers who disciple their children are doing what God has called them to do as parents. That's a responsibility that we have. Husbands, you have a responsibility to lead your wife, to feed her on the word of God, to be prepared to care for her. Brothers and sisters in the church, you have a responsibility to each other. We've all been called to serve one another. We're living stones built upon the foundation of Christ, working together in the house of God. We're members of one body. We're called to serve one another. Each one of us has responsibilities that we're called to, and we're going to be held to account for how we serve the Lord in those responsibilities. And that's the picture here. That's what we see. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. It may not seem like mother, father, when your kids are being rebellious, tearing the house apart, not listening to you. Maybe maybe they're just going off and doing their own thing as a teenager and, and cussing you out or, or doing all these other things. If you serve your children the way the Lord's called you to, whether you see the fruit here and now, however difficult it is, the Lord says there's a blessing for you. There's a blessing for you. Now, that's not, that's not why we do it, but that's that blessing he gives is being faithful to him. We're called to that. We have the responsibility In all these other things, we have that responsibility and the blessing. And we see the heavenly treasure that Jesus talks about. Truly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all that he has. It's the same as the parable of the talents. Given a few talents, and if you're faithful with those things, then you're given responsibility over more, right? We see that the economy of God is that the responsibilities we are given, we're to be content in them and we're to be faithful in them. And as we serve the Lord in faithfulness, he gives us more, maybe now, maybe, at the time when he rewards his servants. But we're called to be faithful. And then we see the contrast, verse 45. It says, but if that servant says in, my heart, in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him as his portion with the unbelievers. This is heavy. This is heavy. This should tell us we need to be concerned with the Lord's return. That should be foremost, front and foremost in our hearts and our minds. The Lord's coming back. He's called me to be ready and watching for him. And because I'm ready and watching for him, I'm, I know I need to be faithful in these things he's appointed me to. I need to be faithful as a husband. I need to be faithful as a wife. I need to be faithful as a father. I need to be faithful serving in the church. I need to be faithful as an employee. I need to be faithful with the money the Lord's given to me. I need to be faithful. 
and to know that he's coming back. And if we're unwilling to have that perspective and we say, oh, that's not my concern, the Lord's return, then we see that there's this whole change in what happens. When we don't have the concern that the Lord could return at any time, it opens the door for us for uh, beating one another, mistreating, not serving those the Lord has placed under our care the way we should. And then to steal from the master, to eat and drink when it's not time to eat and drink, to take for ourselves, and then ultimately to be intoxicated, to be completely distracted, no inhibitions, nothing that uh, gives us those boundaries and the right living that the Lord has called us to. It's basically pulling the accountability out and throwing it away when we don't have that understanding perspective that the Lord could come back at any time. It's playing loose and fast with our salvation. It's key. It's critical. I was talking um, this last week with Dan and Nehemiah, and one of the things that the Lord, I was sharing with them, one of the things that the Lord's kind of really been, uh, you know, dealing with me on and talking to me about and something I've been kind of struggling in with the scriptures is where Jesus in his prayer in the garden before he goes to be crucified, he prays over and over again that the church would be as one, be united. Now me as a, as a, a Bible believing Christian, I believe very firmly we need to be strong on doctrine, right? Teaching. We need to be orthodox, not in the Russian Eastern thing, but in the true sense of the word, which means right teaching. We need to know what the scriptures speak and the truth that's in it, and we need to stand upon it. I believe very firmly in that. I believe we need to not compromise in those things either. But we have all these different groups of churches and forms of of Christian faith and all of these other things around us and I would say we don't want to be ecumenical where we compromise in all these true and right doctrines that we believe just so we can have unity with these others who believe otherwise. I don't want to do that. But what I'm realizing that the Lord, I believe, was praying for is not that we as Christians would compromise and just have these mere essentials of Christianity, but that his whole church would be united in the truth and right teaching of the word of God. That this is our standard and we don't waver from it. We're called to be aligned with it. This is what we're called to. And the unity comes when we're serving the Lord faithfully. When we're believing his word for what he said. When we are being united that this is the standard. That's the only union and being united that we should seek as Christians in this. Paul writes, be as much as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. We're not to war and fight and and argue and debate and all these other things, but we're to stand firm on doctrine, to stay firmly rooted in what the word of God says and to stand upon it and to be united in that. When we're not, united in what the scriptures teach, then we see all of these other things come in where the world rightly criticizes the church and says, you guys are always fighting and warring and debating with one another. If the church would return to the word of God, then we would be as one. We would be united. If the church would return to a true and right understanding of the word of God, then we would be. We're called to that. But if we neglect the promises that God has, the, the main promise we're talking about tonight is his return. If we neglect that, then things go south. And, and the ultimate end is verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now, there's differing opinions on what this verse is speaking of. Is it speaking of someone who's called a servant, who's placed their faith in Christ, and then they, they start to do their own thing and serve their flesh and do all of these other things, and then they lose their salvation, and he's cut in two and appointed a portion with the unbelievers? 
There's that view. Uh, there's some who take this view and kind of soften the punishment that is spoken of. And they say, well, that word cut in two, it really means of cutting in pieces and speaking of scourging, like the flaying of the back of someone in Roman times where they would whip them with the cat and nine tails and the shards of bone and glass and lead and all of those things. And that's what it's speaking of there, is, is, is a scourging where there's this, this punishment here. I don't know, to be honest. I, I know I don't believe that we can lose our salvation, that anyone can take it away from us. I know that. I believe, personally, I lean on the side of this saying that, that a servant is known by his fruit. And so if a servant is beating the male and female servants, is saying in his heart, my master's delaying is coming, and is eating and drinking and getting drunk, the fruit is they're not saved. They're not walking with the Lord. They're not so I don't know. We know the end times, the, the time when men are judged before their creator is when it's determined whether you're wheat or whether you're tear, right? But uh, Jesus talks about the wheat, the parable of the wheat and the tares. There's that time of harvest. When that takes place, uh, I believe the rapture may be part of that. But we don't know. But the point is not for us to be concerned, well, am I going to be that unfaithful servant or I'm going to be cut in two? But our concern should be, I want to be that faithful servant, that faithful steward, to be concerned to do what's right, to be obedient to him, to be found doing those things the Lord's called us to. And we see the rest of this, it talks about the justice of the Lord. And that he is a just God. What I think is interesting about the end here, it says, uh, verse 47, that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. There's a responsibility for knowing what you should do and not doing it. That's, that's rejecting the truth of God. But then verse 48 says, But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. Does this mean there's lesser punishment? If, if you have some ignorance of certain things, I don't know. Again, I don't know. But we see the truth here. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. That's what the, Jesus stresses at the end here. We've been given much. We've been given the scriptures. We've been given the promises of God. We've been given the blessings of our families, of our jobs, of even just the air we breathe. We've been given these things. And what we've been given, we are going to be called on to account for, to be responsible for it, to serve the Lord, and to serve him as we're watching for his return. The end result of rejecting the truth of the Lord's return and his return coming soon is a complete unawareness of judgment coming. That's what the ma- that servant, that unfaithful servant has. Completely unaware. That judgment is coming. Being blinded. You guys, I'm, I'm very convinced that the rapture is a very key thing that we need to have right in our understanding. I understand there's differing of opinions, and I'm not going to say you're not a believer or that you're not walking with the Lord if you believe the rapture takes place pre-wrath or mid-trib or post-trib. If you say it doesn't happen at all, then I'll say, again, you're foolish. But it, uh, that, that's not the point. The point is what we see here is the Lord says he can come back at any time. We don't know when. And we need to understand that is the truth that he could come back at any point. And as soon as we step back from that, as soon as we start to slide and kind of let up on that truth, we're opening the door to false doctrine. We're opening the door to compromised living. We're opening the door to being deceived, to being led astray. And we have all of these other things. I've seen it in the lives of loved ones who at one point, loved the Lord's return, and looked for the rapture to take place. And then slowly but surely they began to backpedal on those things. 
And, and then I, I can watch progressions in their lives where, where they don't believe the rapture is going to take place. So then now all of a sudden, well, the millennial kingdom is not going to be fulfilled literally. It's something that just is a spiritual thing when the Lord comes into your heart. Amillennialism. Uh, and, and then you see, well, if that's the case, then, then I've been wrong about all these other doctrines in the scripture where it begins to undermine your faith. I believe what we believe about Revelation, the end times, and what we believe about Genesis are the foundation stones of our doctrine and our teaching and of right believing. And when we take away from those being literally fulfilled, all of a sudden we have no ground to stand upon. We're like those men who built their house upon a sandy foundation. Storm comes, it's all washed away, right? We have that foundation. But guys, on the positive side, when we have this understanding, there's such blessing. It plays a key role in, in all the things that we want as disciples, as servants of God. We want to be doing. We want to see those blessings. We want to be found faithful. We want to have uh, right living. We don't want to be playing around with sin. We don't want to have uh, a, a bad witness in front of others. We don't want to have any of those things. That's what, what we, as Christians, we know that we want those things. And I believe one of the keys to that is to have that understanding. The Lord could return at any time. I'm going to read something here. Um, this is uh, Lectures in Systematic Theology um, by Henry Thiessen. And... Uh, now, uh, if you guys don't know what systematic theology is, basically it takes a premise from the scriptures about uh, the truth that's being taught there and then builds upon it. If it's good systematic theology, it's going back to the scripture and saying this is what this verse says, this verse says, this verse says, and then building theology uh, line upon line, verse upon verse, foundation stone then being built up, and these, these steps in if this is the truth, then this is what it means, and this is how, what the scriptures say. So this portion is on the second coming of Christ, specifically at this point speaking of the rapture of the church. And he says, in this portion, he says, it is the incentive to biblical Christianity. The coming of Christ is the great incentive to biblical Christianity. A sincere belief in this doctrine has had much to do with orthodoxy, right teaching, Right understanding for those who have entertained this hope most heartily and intelligently have never denied the deity of Christ, nor disputed the infallibility of the Bible, nor declined from the faith that was once delivered to the saints. But this is not all. The acceptance of this truth also induces self-purification. First John three three, Second Peter three eleven, Matthew twenty five six and seven. It inspires watchfulness and constancy, meaning staying firm in, in the foundation that you've been given. Matthew 24, 44, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Mark 13, 36, 1 John 2, 28. It challenges the backslider to return, Romans 13, 11, and 12, knowing that the Lord could come back at any time. It constitutes a warning to the ungodly, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. It is a stay an anchor in adversity and bereavement. James 5, Hebrews 10, 11, 2 Timothy 2, 1 Thessalonians 4. It is clear that the blessed hope was the incentive to apostolic Christianity, the Christianity of the church in the book of Acts. The men who had heard Jesus say that he would come again could not be again seduced by the allurements of this world. They longed for his coming, lived for it, sought to lead others to him and to the hope of his return. Charles G. Trumbull quotes a friend of his who at the time was working for one of the cabinet officers of the United States at Washington as follows. He says, the coming of our Lord is a theme which came to me like a second conversion. It changed the whole current of my life, made the Bible a new book to me. I believe it was the anchor to my faith in a day of much criticism and drifting from old channels. Many others have tested similar, testified similarly to the effect of the acceptance of this doctrine in their own lives. You guys, it's key. 
that we understand. It's key that we believe that the Lord could come back at any time. That's what we're taught. And we have blessings for those who are waiting and watching. And we have punishment for those who say, he's delaying and I'm going to do my own thing. We have that promise. And as disciples, we need to, as we started at the beginning, a disciple, what does Jesus say? If anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross daily, count the cost, and follow after me. We're called to that. And that following after him as he's gone to heaven to prepare a place for us includes us looking for his return. Continuing in those things he's called us to with our eyes up and watching for his return. He's coming back soon and we need to be prepared and ready and waiting. Let's pray.